Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Good morning, church. What Jesus did, he did for us. Let's give him a praise of shout and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. We want to welcome all of you here this morning to Refuge. My name is Matt Malik. I'm the lead pastor at Refuge. We want to wish you a happy Easter. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. Are you ready for the word? All right. Well, let's, we're going to get into it. I have a, a message this morning for you that's entitled, Hope Beyond the Grave. Hope Beyond the Grave. We think of words despairingly, despondency, and desperate are all words that describe hopelessness. And see, people are facing hopeless situations in the day that we live in. To be hopeless is actually a feeling of, of futility and, and passive abandonment of oneself to defeat and failure. People just give up because they don't see an answer. They don't see light at the end of the tunnel. They don't see hope. So they're in despair. Now, people lose hope when they fail to see a future for their life. In fact, if there's no future, there's simply no hope. We need hope for the future. And that's why hope is so necessary today. And, and you know, see, people end their life because they don't see hope for the future. They're in despair, so they don't see any reason to live any longer. And that's a horrible thing. See, a world without hope is a world in despair. However, I love the word however. <laughs> it changes everything. There's incredible hope that is to be discovered in what Jesus Christ did for us through his life, through his death on the cross, through his burial, and then through his resurrection. There's great hope. And that's the reason we're gathered here today. That's the reason we're celebrating this day, because of what Jesus accomplished for you and for me. See, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't for himself. It was for us. It was an unselfish act of love for the human race for the people of God's creation. And so that's so significant and so important. And we need to understand as we explore this subject of hope, we need to understand that this hope I'm talking about is not just for this life, but it's hope beyond this life. And that's why we're looking at hope beyond the grave as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. See, hope speaks of a future promise. It gives you something to live for. You know, some people, they, they look and they anticipate for something that's going to happen and they can't wait till it happens. That's hope. Hope is a target. It's a direction. It's something we aim or shoot for. You know, I was really thinking about it and, you know, uh, obviously death lost its victory because Jesus defeated death himself for us. He defeated death. And I was thinking about today, and I wasn't even going to bring it up. It is April Fool's Day. And there's tons of jokes and humor that we could talk about April Fool's. But you know what? This is April Fool's for the devil. 
And it just happens to be on the same day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I guess every 11 years, um, Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. Kind of interesting. And so it's really April Fool's for the devil because the devil thought he had Jesus defeated. He conspired and moved upon that angry crowd, upon the Pharisees and the religious leaders to have Jesus arrested and uh, tried illegally and then crucified, given the death penalty. Satan thought, I am the winner. I'm victorious over the Son of God. I defeated Messiah. Now the hope and the promise of redemption is finished. But Jesus rose from the dead. And what Satan thought, what the devil thought was his greatest victory, became his greatest defeat. Now, there's no better April Fool's Day than that. Amen? (laughs) It's not April Fool's for us, but it's April Fool's for the devil. And so I have a key verse for you, and this key verse is an April Fool's scripture. Okay? It's an April Fool's key verse scripture. Turn with me to Hesitations chapter 2, verse 6. Well, if that doesn't work, how about Hezekiah chapter 12, verse 4? No, that's, that's April Fool's. There's no such books in the Bible, okay? If you know your Bible, I mean, I didn't fool anybody because you know the scriptures. But I do have an April Fool's scripture, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. In 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is dealing with the subject of resurrection because there were people in the day of the Apostle Paul that were trying to dispute it and deny that there was a resurrection. And so Paul, in his discourse, proves through his teaching that resurrection is for real. And so in verse 55, in 1 Corinthians 15, it reads in the English Standard Version, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Oh my, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ This Easter Sunday, we thank you that all over this world, people are acknowledging Jesus as the risen Christ. They're acknowledging that he's alive and he's moving and transforming people in this earth. We thank you for the hope of salvation, the hope for humanity. And as we celebrate this day, we ask that you inspire us and give us revelation and understanding so we can live our life to glorify you in Jesus' name. Now... Let me just say this. The only barrier to truth is for you and I to choose to ignore it. And so we don't want to ignore the truth that can change your life. And I just want you to think about that through this message. Because truth sometimes can be challenging to receive. But yet if you don't receive it, you're the one that will lose in the end. And so we need to consider also the biblical account of the event of Jesus' resurrection because we understand that there's an event and the effect of the event. And so in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 2, we take it up on that day in history that Jesus rose from among the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven 
and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now let me just, I'll add this. Realize that uh, Jesus didn't need the angel to roll back the stone because he, he could have come out of the grave with the stone rolled back or not. He could have just walked through the stone, okay? But that was just to prove to the people of that day because that stone was sealed. It was guarded. And that guards, the guards that were there, the sealed by the Roman government that was put upon that tomb could not keep Jesus inside, okay? And it goes on to say, verse 3, his countenance, speaking of the angel, was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, and all the women that had come, they were bringing spices, they were coming to the tomb that Sunday morning, and the word to them was, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. So the angel gave those women a tour of the inside of that tomb, which was empty. Now, I've had the privilege on two occasions to visit Jerusalem and to visit that garden tomb and to go in there and see the empty tomb. He's not there. He's risen. In fact, it's right over the outside of that tomb. Yeah. If you get to go there, it's, it's, it's a moment. And, and, you know, you might say, well, it's wonderful to walk where Jesus walked, be where he was. But guess what? He's with us now. Amen. He's right here, right now, in this place. So, for the skeptic, and I want to address this, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ just a historical event that really happened? Is it something that really happened? Or is, a, or is it just a myth, as, as some um, agnostics and some atheists would claim? I believe that it is actually a historical event because we have history to prove it. A proof of his resurrection is evident in the lives of the people who were not only witnesses whose lives were radically transformed by the risen Lord, but also the documentation by not only just the biblical account, but the historical account in the writings of that day and time. Now, the Gospels and the book of Acts actually give us eyewitness accounts of the very life, the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all there. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, the scripture reads, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They're all witnesses. All the people that he was speaking of at that time were witnesses during the time of that writing. And it's interesting, if it was a myth, if it really didn't happen, why would his disciples lay down their life defending the testimony of Jesus' resurrection? And they were all martyred for their faith because they believed it, they lived it, they knew it very seriously. Now, there are three significant issues that come to mind when we consider hope beyond the grave. And I want to address those three issues. The first one, when we consider what's beyond the grave or hope beyond the grave, is the uncertainty. There's an uncertainty of what happens when you die. See, uncertainty is simply a guessing game. It's, it could be ignorance or it could be a mystery. But there's an uncertainty 
of what's going to happen when people die. And some people live in that uncertainty. Have you ever thought that you were dying or about to die? Maybe you've, you've gone through a sickness and an illness that brought you to death's door and, and you came back. Or maybe you were dealing with a circumstance, a situation, an automobile accident, and, and you barely escaped, escaped with your life. Maybe you were injured and you had injuries to recover from. But many of you may have had a close-to-death experience, so I've thought that you were dying. Now, I have on several occasions had circumstances and situations where I thought I was dying. Mind if I share them with you? Okay. And, 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 and there's always a side of humor in everything, okay? okay? Now I look back. At the time I went through these things, I wasn't laughing. But now I can look back and I can... I can chuckle about it, at least some of them, okay? Now, there's two things that explode in a person's mind. At least for me, this is what happened when I thought I was dying. The first thing was, I'm not ready to die. And then the second thing is, I am ready to die. And I can say those two things because even though I may not be ready to die, I know that I've already made my peace with God. So when I do die, I'm ready to meet him. So in that sense, I'm not afraid to die. But in another sense, I'm not ready to die because I want to continue to live because the longer I live, the more I can testify of Jesus, the more I can do for him. I can't lead somebody to Christ when I'm in heaven. It would be wonderful to be there. It would be a joyous experience. But here is where the rubber meets the road where we can challenge the principalities and powers of darkness, fight this good fight of faith, and be an example and influence to reach our will for Christ. Amen? Yeah. So, these moments in my life that I thought I was going to die, the first one, I was 15 years old. I was run over by a tractor. Hey, I was raised on a farm. There's tractors on farms. And sometimes that happens. It was an accident. But as that tractor, the big back tire of that tractor was backing over the mid part of my body. And I'm, I'm feeling all this stuff breaking and stopping and, and, and fluids rushing through my body. I thought, I'm dying. The first thing that came to mind is, I don't want to die. I'm too young. I've got a life to live. And, you know, I could get more into that story, but I survived, as you can see. <laughs> But to me, that was a near-death experience, and God got me through it. Uh, the second experience where I thought I was dying was when I attended Bible school. In the first service, I said I was 19. I think I was actually about 20 years old at the time. But my roommate convinced me to go on a canoe excursion on the river down there in Oklahoma. Um, I forget the name of the river, Tahlequah or something like that. If you've ever been there, there's, there's parts that are calm and there's parts that are not so calm. And so we get in this canoe, and, and of course, uh, when we rented the canoe, they give you the life vest. And, and because I couldn't swim, I was going to put it on, but my roommate thought, hey, that doesn't look cool. And so I took it off, and I put it down in the canoe. And so we're going along in this, down this river, and it seems to be really calm, really nice. And my roommate had an idea, let's just put our paddles inside and let the current take. We went around this bend, and all of a sudden, I saw what they call white water. Anybody know what that is? 
That means the water is moving so fast it, it, it turns white instead of just this nice crystal blue color. And so uh, I suggested to my roommate, I said, I think we need to start paddling because we were going sideways and we were entering this white water. And then I noticed this area in the river where there were rocks. And out of this rock, there was this tree branch hanging out and we were going straight for it. And we were paddling and it seemed like it wasn't turning the canoe up. We were just effort, well, we were not having any success in turning that canoe around, okay? So needless to say, we hit the rocks the canoe capsizes. And I am terrified because I can't swim. And I grabbed the side of that canoe and, and I literally, I put marks in um, an aluminum canoe. I actually, my, probably to this day, those marks from my fingernails are still engraved in that canoe, okay? <laughs> and so the canoe kind of went that way. I lost it and then I lurched and I jumped and grabbed hold of that tree branch and I thought, thank you Lord for this tree branch. Probably saved my life, that tree branch right there. And I'm hanging onto the tree branch and the waves are rushing over me. My body's being thrashed back and forth and I'm hanging on and I'm saying, Lord, save me. And guess what I hear? Still small voice. Let go. Is anybody else up there? <laughs> No, I can't let go. I, Lord, you don't understand. I can't swim. I don't want to die. I haven't preached yet. I'm still in Bible college. You know, I need to graduate. I got to go win the world, Lord. I can't die yet. And so I started just to hang on, and I was getting tired, wore out. And that word just kept coming stronger. He who tries to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will save it. And out of fatigue and, and just weariness, I finally let go. Now, to my surprise, I didn't go underwater. The current was so swift that it just swept me along. And it swept me to a part of the river where it was a little more calmer. There was this little nook, and I was able to just step out because it was only like uh, knee deep or waist deep at that point. And I walked to that river. And, you know, I, then we had to find my life vest. It was somewhere down the river, you know. Um, but I learned a lesson that day. But that was a day I thought I was going to die. And a couple other experiences, I'll just briefly mention them. I was in Philadelphia, and I, I had a problem with my car, and I was, I was trying to, uh, I was under the car, and it came out of gear, and it started, I was on this hill in Philadelphia, there's a lot of hills, and my car started rolling over my body. I started running myself over. And I, I literally thought I was going to die. How can I stop this car? It was a 1967 Chevy Impala. It was heavy. Those, they built those cars like tanks, okay? And it felt like a tank running over me. But I survived that. I won't get into all the other gory details with that one. I survived that. But then the last one, I was skiing in New Mexico. And... and I was with my friends and they convinced me to go skiing. Now, I didn't really know how to ski. And so we go on this mountain called Angel Fire. And, you know, I was, I guess, easily influenced by my friends. And so we're going up this chairlift. And, you know, we're going up higher and higher and higher. And then actually, when you get above the clouds, you know, it's, I was pretty concerned. 
okay, what are we going to do above the clouds? And, and there was more mountain up there, and, and we're going up and up and up. And, and it was March of the year, so they hadn't had a, a fresh snowfall in about three weeks. It had warmed up and had frozen. And so the mountain was a sheet of ice. There was no fresh powder. For those of you that ski, powder is fresh snow, okay? And so we get to the top, and I said, show me the green run. Green is for beginners, you know. The green run is you just nice and calm. There were no green runs, only black runs and blue runs. I, I discovered that black runs and blue runs, it means you get black and blue by the time you get down, okay? <laughs> because that's what happened to me. I was literally bruised. I, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I fell on that mountain or almost hit a tree. And I was terrified. I literally thought, Lord, I'm going to die in this mountain. Now, that would not make a good news story. That would, that's not, I don't want to die in this mountain, Lord. I have a life to live. I want to get married. Right? So, yeah. There was a, a child in children's church, and, and the teacher was saying, how many of you want to go to heaven? And all the kids in the class raised their hand except little Johnny. And so the teachers said to Johnny, Johnny, you don't want to go to heaven? Why don't you want to go to heaven? Johnny said, well, I want to go to heaven, but not just yet. Okay? So, and that's kind of how I felt in those experiences, okay? So, so how do we prepare? How do we prepare with this uncertainty that we all face or can face? It doesn't have to be an uncertainty for those who've made preparation. My dad recently passed away at the age of 92 years old. In the last 12 days, he was under hospice care. A family was surrounded him 24-7. And every day, we would talk to him. And he would affirm to us that not only was he ready to die, but he wanted to die. He'd made his peace with God. He was ready to go and receive his reward. And so uh, he wasn't afraid of death. He welcomed it because he knew what was beyond the grave. There was no uncertainty for him. Now, where do we go after we die? What happens to us? What lies beyond the grave? What about the afterlife? Is this life all that there is, or is there something more? Those are questions people ask. And we may not want to think about it or even talk about it, because it makes people uneasy. It makes people uncomfortable when you talk about death. And I don't necessarily suggest when you go to witness to somebody that you say, so where are you going when you die? You know, that's not a good open liner when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, but because that's going to make them uncomfortable. They're going to say, get away from me, okay? Um, so we understand that death is certain, but there is uncertainty for many of what will happen when they die. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, 12 I'll just paraphrase this for you. It says uh, that there was a time in our life that we were separated from Christ, having no hope, and without God in this world. All of us were in, in that place. Many of us here are believers now. We now have that hope in Christ. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection on a day like today. So the second thing we see when we look at the uh, hope beyond the grave is the reality. We have the, there's this uncertainty, but there's also the reality. There's a hell to shun and there's a heaven to gain. Okay, uh, Hell is real. And so is heaven. But we determine which place we go. According to a Harris poll, 69% of people believe in hell, but only 1% in 
believe they will go there. So there's a lot of people that believe that based on their good works, uh, how they're living their life, that they'll make heaven. But heaven's entrance is not based on your good works. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ and his gift of eternal life for you that you receive, that we receive. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 18, the scripture reads, For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing you praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. Hell is a place where there's no hope. There's no praise to God there. There's no hope. It's a place of utter hopelessness. And and see, we see so much in the scripture that describes hell. In fact, Jesus preached and talked about hell more than he did about heaven. Why? Because he was concerned about people going there because he doesn't want anybody to go there. That's why he did what he did to prevent humanity from having to suffer an eternity separated from him. There's a man by the name of Bill Weiss. And in November of 1998, he had a vision of hell in an out-of-body experience where he describes it in great detail. I encourage you to check that up. Go online and just uh, Google um, Bill Weiss and uh, 23 Minutes in Hell. And there's an amazing video. He's been on the 700 Club. He's been on other uh, Christian uh, programs sharing his testimony. It's very scripturally documented. I mean, and, but it, it really gives us a picture of what hell is as we see through the revelation of God's word. Hell is for real, just as heaven is for real. Heaven is eternal, and so is hell. It's an eternal place. And Jesus addressed the final judgment, actually, in Matthew chapter 25. He concluded in the final words of the chapter this statement we see in verse 46. And he's talking about the separation of the sheep from the goats and, and what's going to happen in the final end time. In verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we see that Jesus talked about this contrast, the reality of a hell, the reality of a heaven. And then finally, number three, when we consider hope beyond the grave, there's life and hope beyond the grave for you and for me and for all of humanity. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, the Apostle Paul, in contrasting and in dealing with people that were trying to deny the resurrection, makes this statement. He said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why did he say that? Because he had hope in the afterlife. He had hope in the resurrection. See, if, if all this life is all there is, and there's no life after this, then we might as well live it up. Why do we sacrifice? Why do we serve? Why do we commit our lives to live for God? Why? We do it because there's hope beyond the grave. When this life is just a moment, a fraction of time compared to eternity. There is life beyond the grave when we surrender our heart and life to Jesus Christ. The psalmist declares this in Psalms 49 verse 15. But God will free my soul from the power of the grave. I love that. He's going to free my soul from the power of the grave, for he will take me to himself. Now the psalmist knew this. This was a revelation to him. 
He knew that when he would die, that God would save his soul from the power of the grave. See, there is new life in Christ. And hear me out. Your new life in Christ will cost you your old one. You need to be willing to to walk away from a life of sin, a life of doing what you want, a life of serving yourself to a life that's surrendered to Christ, that's given over to God. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, I love this passage because this is true for the believer and it's true for those who accept and receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. You see, the resurrection is significant for the Christian church because believers identify with the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. He was raised to life and we are raised to life with him by his power. We pass, the scripture says, from death to life. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we now have hope beyond the grave. And I want to close with this scripture we see in Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. In other words, God has no more pity over death. This is God saying, I'm going to annihilate death. I'm going to defeat death. And see, the final day is coming. And when we read the book of Revelation, death will be no more until the final end of time and the transition from this life into eternity with the new heavens and the new earth and all that good stuff, we still deal with death, but yet it's been neutered. Because death for the believer doesn't stop us from living. Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you die, you still live. He spoke that to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25. If you believe in me, Though you die, you still live. My dad's still alive. He died in January, but he's still alive. If you have loved ones that have died, they're still alive if they died in Christ. So we have hope beyond the grave, understanding the uncertainty, the reality, and hope beyond the grave. At this time, if if you're here and you say, Pastor, you know, I don't know that my life is right with God. I don't know that if I were to die that I'd be ready to meet Jesus. Maybe you haven't made your peace with him. I want to extend an opportunity to you to make your peace with him in this place right now so that you can be certain that when you die, that you'll be ushered into the presence of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, and you hear you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know that my life is right with God. If I were to die, there's uncertainty. I'm plagued with that. But I'm ready and willing right now to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, to put my faith in Him, to trust Him as my Lord and Savior, the one who died for me, the one who rose from the dead to give me a new life. If that's you, raise your hand, and Jesus will meet you and encounter you in a significant way. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. For those of you that raised your hands and everyone here, we want to pray this prayer together. And I call this prayer simply a sinner's prayer. We're all sinners who need a Savior. And when we receive Jesus, He takes that old sin nature away and He gives us His nature of righteousness. He gives us new life in Him. Things change from the inside out. It's hard to explain, but it happens. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come before you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I give my heart to you right now. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life, to give me hope beyond the grave. I receive you now. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Let's stand up together. We're going to worship. For those of you that raised your hands, we're going to have a prayer team up here in a few moments. And we're going to invite you to come and pray with them. We have some uh, information, material we'd love to bless you with. Thank you so much for being attentive today. Um, happy, glorious Easter day. Happy resurrection. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.